Hello, and welcome to the Belmont Story Project. I'm Nancy McMenemy McComb, and today is December 17, 2019. I'm here today with Dr. Kwan Q. Lai. Dr. Lai was born in Penang, Malaysia, and came to the United States as a young woman to go to Wellesley College. After a brief stint in dentistry, she went on to medical school specializing in infectious diseases. She first volunteered abroad in the aftermath of the South Asian, South Asian tsunami in 2004. Approximately 10 years later, during the Ebola outbreak in Africa, she did two volunteer stints, the first one in, in Liberia in 2014 and the second one in Sierra Leone in the following year. She is now just a few weeks back from volunteering in Yemen, where there is an ongoing humanitarian crisis caused by the civil war there. Dr. Lai lives in Belmont with her husband, Scott, and together they have three children, Tim, Kara, and Charles. Thank you very much for coming in. We really appreciate it. And it's You're nice welcome. to see you again after the Moon Memories interview back in the summer, I think. Yes, so. yes. <clears throat> All right. So I'd like to start with your experience during the Ebola outbreak, which is the subject of your book, Lest We Forget, A Doctor's Experience with Life and Death During the Ebola Outbreak. Can you say maybe a little bit for the listeners about Ebola? Um, you know, how is it caused and transmitted and, and so on, and just give people a little bit of a picture of what, what someone's dealing with with an Ebola outbreak. Mm -hmm. Well, Ebola is caused by a virus called the Ebola virus, and it was discovered in 1976. However, only occurs in Africa. So it is a disease that is quite deadly and uh, carrying a fatality of between 60 to 90 percent. Wow. So um, most often is closer to 90 percent because there was at that time no cure for mm. Ebola. Scientists believe that the fruit bat carry the virus mm -hmm. um, because uh, Africans tend to uh, um, go to the forest uh, to kill wildlife mm -hmm. and so they had contact with these uh, fruit bats and primates do get uh, infection from the viruses and they then when they eat the bushmeat mm -hmm. they may potentially come into contact with the infected fluid okay. and so that is the basis of how people <clears throat> contract uh, the virus right. but there is really no uh, clear-cut um, shall I say, confirming uh, evidence mm -hmm. that that is the case. Okay. So and we so, don't entirely know for no, absolutely yes, exactly. certain but how they, it's But they, they have really isolated the viruses from fruit bat. Okay. Uh, so the, the case that was happening in Liberia, the, the premise is that the little boy who contracted it got it from playing with the fruit bat. Okay. And just because a lot, there is a lot of deforestation, so a lot of the animals mm -hmm. move closer to human uh, habitat. Yeah. And that's how we, you know, come into contact. As an infectious disease doctor, yeah. Ebola virus seems to me is a far away disease that I will never, never see. So when it came mm. to uh, be, become an outbreak in uh, 2014, mm -hmm. and it was amazing that I thought it would never contact me. It will mm. never be, touch my life. Right. But it did. So. Right, and but it touched your life by your choice, right? Because exactly. you, you saw, saw what was going on. Yeah. Um, so I was going to ask you, yeah, so with that paint, you know, painted yeah. picture of, of up to a 90% mortality rate, I think a lot of people would safe, would want to play it safe and stay away from a situation like that. But So what made you decide to go to Africa? It was just like uh, the tsunami. 
There was mm. just a tug in my heart that I had to go. Mm-hmm. And so there was this urgency when it happened that more and more people were dying and mm-hmm. you, see, you see horrific pictures in the television of mm-hmm. people dying in the street and being abandoned on the streets and nobody would touch them, even mm-hmm. including their close uh, relatives, because it was so deadly. Right. Uh, it, it really right, touched were, me. Yeah. And I just felt like you know somebody had to go there to take care of them. And even though I... I was just a lone person, but I thought I could be u- helpful. Mm-hmm. I could be useful in that situation as an infectious disease doctor. And uh, so that was one of the main reasons why I went there. And also looking at the African uh, national healthcare workers, uh, I felt that they were extremely brave mm-hmm. to be in a front line day after day. And it would put me to shame if I stay home sitting on my couch just watching television and not doing anything about it. So that was what was that pushed me mm-hmm. to really uh, dig into finding an organization that would take me there. Mm-hmm. If I didn't make that effort, you know, I would probably regret it mm-hmm. in my later life that yeah. I never, never make an effort to go there to, mm-hmm. to help out. Okay. And the other mm-hmm. thing is, as an infectious disease doctor, as I said, Ebola virus is so rare and mm-hmm. uh, it only happens in Africa. It, I only read it in textbook mm-hmm. and that was just my chance to be able to have the first-hand knowledge of how an Ebola virus could affect so many people. Mm-hmm. Right, because here in the States you don't see anything of that or do you see anything of that level of deadliness or Mm-mm. you know, yeah. Well of course HIV when it first came okay. yeah. it was quite deadly. It was a death sentence when you had HIV. Mm-hmm. But nowadays it's, it's kept under control. It's, it's called a chronic disease. Yeah. And it's not that infectious mm-hmm. as compared to Ebola virus. So going to Liberia, can you tell us a little bit about the circumstances that you were working in? Well we, we had assimilated um, scenario in uh, down in Alabama when we got trained for three days <clears throat> but it's nothing like that until okay. you got there mm-hmm. and everything to me became like a very horrific reality mm-hmm. and I didn't know where I could put my feet <laughs> on the ground right. which place is uh, contaminated which place is dangerous yeah. and so is this it was something that had to be taught to me or had to be shown to me mm-hmm. you know where you could go uh, safely and where you couldn't go safely right. so that was uh, and it became really real for me that yeah. yes you know you yeah. could really get infected right if you didn't do the right thing. Yeah. So even for example, I know there's one point where you were you, you weren't sure whether to get out of the car because you had slippers on, yeah. right? So is it true that if you had so say you had stepped into an area where there was infection, mm-hmm. and you got it on your shoe and then you touched your shoe, is that a possible it means of be. transmission? Yeah, yeah it even could that. Be. Yeah, okay. because you don't know where the uh, uh, infected fluid yeah. uh, had fallen on the ground, mm-hmm. but. I wasn't told that over there is fine, yeah. but there is a line where you would go beyond to the Ebola treatment unit that right. everything could potentially be dangerous. Yeah, yeah. So can you describe that process a little bit for people, um, just of going from where it was safe into where you had, you know, you knew you had the infection? Um, was there a special name for that zone? The, well, um, they have, they call it like the green zone, the yeah. intermediate zone, and the red zone. Okay. And uh, so the, the green zone is where we 
we were just outside. We were just about to get into the intermediate zone. The okay. intermediate zone is where the administrative people will be hanging out and you know, mm-hmm. doing their paperwork, mm-hmm. and uh, the nurses and the the cleaners would be there cleaning uh, the equipment, mm-hmm. the mask, and the mm-hmm. goggles, and whatever outfit that we had to get yeah. clean. Yeah. But after that, there is a, a very fine, uh, defined line mm-hmm. where it will be the Ebola treatment unit, mm-hmm. the you know, suspected ward and the confirmed ward, and yeah. where you would screen potentially infected patients. That's definitely a, a, a line yeah. that you would cross over as right. the danger zone. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about your the PPE, the personal protective equipment, equipment. is that what they yeah, called yeah. it? Yeah. So how, what were you, I know you were, you were donning and doffing yeah. the special suit to keep you safe from that. Mm-hmm. So can you just, just describe it a little bit? Well, we have to wear the suit mm-hmm. uh, or, or the gown. It's actually like a sleeper, you know, have uh, like legs. A one, like a onesie? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you zip it up with a hood. Yeah. And after that, you had to, uh, the, the hood has... Um, something that covers your eye you have to have a goggles yeah over over and a mask yeah and that that potentially essentially uh cover all parts of your your skin and your face yeah and then you have to put gloves on and there we put three pairs but i think two pairs is probably the the norm okay uh, to put two pairs of gloves on and of course we already have our boots yeah so the thing the the gown is actually over over your boots um so you Essentially, nothing showing. But it was really, really not easy to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, being a very small person, all the things were like medium and large. So I had to more or less crunch up the waist and make it fit me. And then we we also have to wear an apron. Because the apron is kind of protect you from fluid that would spray into your your gown. What what, what was the gown made of? Is it cotton or uh, something? Tyvek. They call it Tyvek. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the the apron is rubber, okay. So you can really spray without getting it. The Tyvek itself, though, is not completely impermeable. Yeah. Because once I felt fluid going through it. Yeah. So it's not completely impermeable. So that's why the the apron is really helpful to give you an extra layer. Yeah. Uh, from potentially, you know, patients vomiting. Yeah. On you or getting fluid on you. Right. Right. The, the thing that is really hard for us is to, it would take between 15 to 20 minutes for us to put all those things on yep. um, in the in the hot area of 80 to 90 degrees. It started to sweat and then the goggles fog up. Yeah. So it was it was quite a struggle trying yeah. to do all that. Yeah. I was wondering if it ever felt dangerous, the suit itself. Do you know what I mean? Like it was so big on you. Could it mm-hmm. have kind of snagged and tripped you or? Mm-hmm. Tripped. Is what I was afraid of. Yeah. And uh, the suit itself would not trip me. Is the apron. The apron oh. is so long. It was maybe a couple of inches off my boots. And yeah. In fact, I asked them to cut the apron for me. Yeah. They said, no, we couldn't do that because it has to fit everybody. Obviously. <laughs> Except you, apparently. Yeah. 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 And so... So there was no like specific apron that you you could have. You could have. Yeah. The other thing that is really annoying is the, are the goggles. Yeah. And there are some what we call uh, good goggles versus not so good goggles. Yeah. And 
people would just go and try to get the good goggles before everybody else. Yeah. And the reason why they, they were good is because it really was quite snug. Yeah. But the ones that were not as good, you yeah. felt as though you not really, yeah. they really were not fitting into your face. Hmm. So was that kind of worrisome in the background? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because I felt as though they really needed to listen to what we say. You know, you need to get more things that would fit us and make us right. feel safer. Right. Because when you were there, 2014 was kind of, um, you were there kind of during the peak of new yeah. cases, right? So there yeah, really we was, the it was peak. a lot happening. Yeah, a lot of patients, yeah. yeah. Towards, almost towards the fourth week, there were so many patients that essentially they were just on the floor. The patients themselves were on the on floor. On the floor, mattresses wow. on the floor, and yeah. we had to round like stepping over a mattress, and that was the <clears> tripping <throat> yeah. that you would be afraid of. Yep. Yeah. yeah. You do a good job of describing kind of the relentlessness of it. That these these poor people have um, very painful symptoms, and they're scared, and you don't always have the the medicine to combat the pain and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering. Is there one patient in particular um, that you remember? Well, you know, I I guess when you read the books, I think the children tend to stand up, mm-hmm. stand up from the book. Yeah. It's just because children in general, when you think about children being sick in the hospital, they really need adults yeah. around them. They need the they need to be cuddled. They need yeah. to to feel safe. Yeah. So th- those children uh, who were there mm-hmm. had nobody like that, uh, no relatives except one person. He had his daddy there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was really hard for yeah. me to yeah. envision that if my child was there, my child would be alone. Yeah. And there was no one else to right. care for that. So there are m- many children that I describe in the book. Yeah. And I think the the one person that was, that stayed there a long time was Christine, mm-hmm. and Christine was uh, there by herself, and her brother died, mm-hmm. and then she had to make sense of that kind of uh, tragedy. I, I'm yeah. not sure anybody had explained to her yeah. um, what happened. No, you were sleeping with your brother, and now you're sleeping alone, mm-hmm. and uh, so that was that must be a, a very very difficult. Uh, situation to be in as a child so I think she I remember her very well yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. and it was really wonderful that she got over it and she was able to leave yeah thank goodness there were some positive stories in that line yeah Yeah. it's not entirely some people do survive right but you he's a roll of the dice some people look so healthy and then all of a sudden they died yeah and so it's really difficult you couldn't always just tell who was going to go you could in in general you could but then there were times where you would be you it surprised you that somebody who came in robust and then died Yeah. yeah yeah speaking more about that you were obviously working in very difficult conditions with long hours it was hot, you had that suit on, day shifts and night shifts and whatnot, and then seeing the suffering. And I'm just wondering, what helped you get through all that? What helped you handle what you were seeing mm. and, and having to do? Where does your inner strength come from? <laughs> it's hard. Day to day, we we couldn't stay in the ward forever. Mm-hmm. So, But we actually stayed longer than uh, Doctors Without Borders uh, mm-hmm. allowed the people to be. So. What kind of length of shifts were 45 you? 45 minutes will, will require is, all is, the people by MSF. Yeah. For us, they never told us. And so 
we had stay I think the longest is three hours and yeah. three and a half hours that's yeah. very long yeah. for the sake of uh, to, to do that not kind of able work. to flu- drink fluid yeah, yeah so dehydration yeah. Uh, is uh, was a problem yeah uh, but nobody say hey you, c- you have to come out nobody monitored yeah. that, you, yeah, that your yeah. time is out but yeah. nobody said that so that that was one of the hard things but if you couldn't come out uh, because the patients needed you Mm-hmm. So you stayed until yeah. you finished, or you, you thought that you finished with yeah. the patients that are comfortable enough. Yeah. Unfortunately, as you read the book, that you know by the end of our rounds, the first people that we saw had already soiled themselves with more diarrhea illness. And yeah. So it was quite difficult. How did I get my? I think. In between rounds, mm-hmm. we had a little bit of break, and yeah. so that really was helpful. Yeah, and uh, so was we're able to kind of jot down my thoughts about things like that, and then yeah. we'll recuperate in between uh, rounds. Yeah, and uh, I have a roommate, so that really ha- was helpful, yeah. and we kind of share stories. And yeah. she was affected by, it, I was affected by. It. I mean, there's some kind of trauma that we yeah. didn't realize that we we had yeah and so talking to each other was really quite helpful yeah and uh and then of course you know my family at home that was was helpful yeah and uh as i said also um i'm not a very religious person but i mm. believe in god mm-hmm. and i i felt that this is what i was doing if i had to go and i die uh, that was you know maybe ordained by God that I, I was mm. my time was <laughs> over <laughs> but it was and then I was uh, lucky that yeah. I could continue to to live on and uh, the kind of life I was uh, I was spared from death then maybe I was slated to do more good stuff okay so I, I had that kind of uh, fatalistic view that if I die then okay. you know, so I put in my best I just felt that way and I didn't I wasn't worried about dying in yeah. that sense although in the book I did mention that I have a few times yeah. got exposed uh, to something but that moment uh, worried me but after that when you were so busy mm-hmm. they kind of passed to the back of your mind you didn't think about them anymore okay. and then when you looked at how people would come in every day to mm-hmm. work and uh, and I'm pretty ashamed to say, hey, you're worrying about something that everybody was really worrying okay, about, but okay. they didn't really share with you, you know, yeah. how much worries they have. Mm-hmm. Was there some positive that you feel like you took away from the experience in Africa? Well, you know, it really touched me mm-hmm. in a way that is really hard to describe. Mm-hmm. I felt like I have gone into almost like hell mm. and then I'd come back and I had that experience that very few people had although a lot of people in Africa experienced yeah. it but it's something very intimate something that touched the inside of me mm-hmm. and I couldn't really share it that well even with my family mm-hmm. and I could kind of uh, quietly digest it and I take, would take walks and thought about it mm-hmm. and uh, I'm sure a lot of people who've been there mm-hmm. had felt the same way that they would touch in a special way uh, so that is it's not bad it's yeah. actually positive in that sense that uh, we're humans, yeah. and uh, we have to help each other. Um, and I'm, you know, even though with all these wars and stuff, there's mm-hmm. still 
quite a bit of humanity left in this world that、mm-hmm. people are willing to take the risk、uh, to help other people.、Mm-hmm. So I think that is the thing that I I feel quite positive about the experience. Okay. And I feel as though I think a lot of people feel very proud to、yeah. be to be part of the uh, uh, the battle. Yeah. Against、uh, the Ebola outbreak、mm-hmm. in twenty、uh, fourteen and fifteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, and thank you for sharing that. I know it's not necessarily easy to kind of go back to some of those memories, or I imagine that it's not. So, thank you for that.、Um, can we, if it's okay, can we turn just a little bit to the tsunami? I'm, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah. That was kind of your first trip abroad、mm-hmm. as a. Volunteer worker as an infectious disease specialist,、mm-hmm. um, and that、uh, more than two hundred thousand people died across the world, across fourteen different countries, and it's something I think most people who are alive remember remember that happening、mm-hmm. and where they were when they first heard about it because it was an enormous, just enormous tragedy. One of the countries was Malaysia that was was impacted by it.、Um, is that is that where you went for your volunteering? No, I I was supposed to go to Indonesia,、mm. Banda Aceh.、Yeah. And all this logistics,、uh, you know, getting work,、yeah. getting paperwork done, getting things done,、uh, delay us in such a way that by the time we were ready to leave,、mm-hmm. the Indonesian government said, "Oh, we don't need any more foreign workers,、mm. so we have to switch our plan." And so we went to India,、okay. South India instead. M- M- Malaysia was hit,、uh, but in a very small way. Yeah. And my island, Penang, was also hit. Uh, by the tsunami, a few people died, but not many.、Okay. So it wasn't some a disaster that you you know you can go and help.、Mm-hmm. But South India is where we went, okay. And、uh, so we ended up working in a small village in、yeah. South India that was really affected by the、yeah. tsunami. What did you find when you arrived? You know, in terms of the conditions and well, know, what sort of cases? Well, we arrived not right at the, at the beginning of、mm-hmm. the disaster. So by the time we arrived, the injuries had been taken care of,、mm-hmm. um, but most of the houses, almost ninety percent, gone、wow. in the village. There、yeah. were no houses there, and so I think World Vision had gone in there, built like container houses、mm-hmm. for the village、yeah. for the villages, but it was really a bad container houses.、Yeah. When you look at the houses. And maybe one little window and a doorway.、Mm. Uh, it was so hot inside that nobody, nobody would sleep inside in,、yeah. at night. They、yeah. would sleep outside. Yeah.、Uh, so it was a shelter. Yeah. But not really suitable. Right. Shelter right. for that climate. Right. And sort of looking big picture after a disaster like that,、mm-hmm. as an infectious disease specialist, sort of what's what's on the mind in terms of what you worry about in terms、mm-hmm. of how people are living and what. Yeah. Well, what water. Water, water is、uh, clean. Water、uh, was always a big problem、yeah. uh, for a disaster.、Um, to begin with, they probably had no clean water, or most of the villages no clean water. But、mm-hmm. then, if they had wells, those wells would be potentially contaminated,、mm-hmm. so they couldn't drink from it. So the water had to be、uh, carted、mm-hmm. from outside into the villages.、Mm-hmm. So they would have, you know, maybe a water tank、uh, mm-hmm. truck come、mm-hmm. in maybe twice a week. To supply them with water, so very fortunately they didn't have like outbreak in Haiti, cholera.、Mm-hmm. So that's one of the waterborne diseases that、mm-hmm. people worry most, or just plain viral、uh, gastroenteritis that children、uh, might get.、Mm-hmm. So diarrhea is the the most common thing、yeah. that people are worried about, and it can be widespread. Yeah. 
So that's the infectious disease that people will think about. Okay. Next thing may be respiratory uh, viruses mm -hmm. or bacteria. Mm -hmm. um, not as devastating as diarrhea illness for young children. Yeah. And how was the response going as far as what you saw when you arrived? When we got there, you know, this is my first time. Yeah. So I really did not understand a lot of the things. But looking back, mm -hmm. I realized that there's a lot post-traumatic syndrome mm -hmm. uh, among the, the villagers uh, who actually came to see you for a little thing, maybe yeah. for chest pain, for respiratory illness. But deep down inside, probably PTSD also mm. lurked uh, in the background. And uh, so they will come, you know, with a cold, or maybe they have a cut, yeah. or maybe they have chest pain because they're anxious, worrying about something. Yeah. But if you know, with all my over 10 years experience now, I realize that there, there are post-traumatic yeah. syndromes that yeah. are affecting the people who had gone through a very disastrous event. Right, right. And is there yeah. anything you can do for people at that point in terms of, I would imagine it's an awful lot of people with PTSD, that, that problem. Yes, yeah. yeah. So Well, you know, you treat it. their, uh, objectively treat the, treat the yeah. symptoms that they will come with to kind of, at least you take care of mm -hmm. you know the physical yeah. uh, symptoms, but in the long run, uh, the NGO will have to form some kind of mental health mm -hmm. uh, program for them. I, over the last ten years, I've seen that and yeah. they are more into the two into mental health mm -hmm. um, program after a disaster. Maybe okay. a few months after a disaster, they will try to set up mental health program for the people, especially in the Rohingya. Um, the refugees that stream from Myanmar to Bangladesh, mm. uh, they have mental health uh, program now for them. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So it, it's really it's a really good thing a to, good response, to have. Yeah. 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 The only thing I f I find it very difficult is yeah. that if you have a mental health program, it's much easier if you have the local mental health people because yeah. they understand the culture, they understand yes. the people. For Westerners to come in, we have a different idea yeah. about the culture and how they respond to sure, sure, sure. disaster or And trauma. what healthy looks like, yeah. Exactly, and yeah. then you have to do it through a translator, mm -hmm. which is uh, a lot of things get lost in translation. So, yeah. And then people feel a little bit reserved when they talk to a foreigners. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so how long were you were you actually there on the ground? I was there about three weeks. Three weeks, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. I just wanted to ask you, I know you're still kind of digesting the Yemen experience, mm -hmm. but um you know, what were you what were you seeing that sort of tugged on you to, mm -hmm. to go there? I actually was uh, aware of the war mm -hmm. in Yemen that was started five years ago. I think it started almost like at the tail end of the Arab Spring, mm -hmm. kind of spreading to Yemen. And so I kept an ear on it. And then when they had a cholera outbreak mm -hmm. in the north of Yemen, and inevitably they would get cholera just mm -hmm. because of the is a waterborne illness. Yeah. And I wish I could go there, but there was you know no NGOs mm -hmm. really going there. It was a troubled zone. Mm -hmm. And I think MSF uh, probably is the only one that is there. Maybe there are other NGOs as well. Okay. But I think most of the NGOs that go there recruit local people okay. which really makes sense mm -hmm. you know local people who can talk the language mm -hmm. who can who know the culture yeah. who can help the people much mm -hmm. better than foreigners mm -hmm. and so i We're just kept an ear on it until a few months ago 
I, uh, a few months ago, I got an email from Mag Global. Mag Global is a new organization. They started maybe two years ago, right after the Rohingya crisis. Mm-hmm. And they form an organization, and they ask people to volunteer to go to take care of the Rohingyas. So I actually went with them uh, right after the, uh, the the exodus of the Rohingya. Oh, okay. So uh, that's even more volunteering that you were doing? Yeah, I okay. went to, with them uh, for to take care of the refugees. So that was something that also tugged my head that yeah, I really wanted yeah. to, to help out. Um, I, that was an amazing camp. It's mm. the biggest camp in yeah. the world. Yeah. I just blew my mind just yeah. look at a camp that you couldn't see the end of it. Yeah. yeah. Do you know how many people? Uh, they said 750,000 wow. people, almost close to a million. Wow. Yeah, but they have more That's than like a, a few city. millions there because over the maybe 20 years, waves of refugees came over from okay. all the uh, um, persecution. Yeah. So they had of waves the of people yeah. uh, coming in uh, at different parts of the, you know, in the 70s and the 90s. They have s- settled there. Okay. So this is the new camp that okay. we saw from the latest disaster. Okay. So and can I ask, so these are ref- Rohingya refugees from Myanmar, and then where are you, where is the camp? In Cox's Baza. Which is the country in Bangladesh. Bangladesh, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so I am actually uh, in awe of the government taking care of so many refugees. Mm-hmm. In a country that is already, that is already poor, yeah. uh, to have, you know, to house over a million refugees in their territory, that is amazing. Yeah. So I went with them. Yeah. Uh, it was completely volunteer. Mm-hmm. So we actually pay for all expenses. Mm-hmm. And because it's such a new organization, yeah. and I went return a year later or less than a year later to go back there again to help mm-hmm. out. Uh, so one day ca- they have me on the list. Yeah. So they <clears throat> emailed me a f- couple months ago, yeah. and they had they asked uh, whether any one of us would be interested to go to Yemen mm-hmm. to help out for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I, I just been keeping an ear on Yemen. I said, Oh yes, I would like to go to Yemen. Yeah. So that surprisingly, maybe twenty doctors uh, uh, went there, and so it's a team of a very international team mm-hmm. from different, even including a woman from Russia. Yeah, uh, it's so amazing. So, and uh, people could spend either one week or two weeks, mm-hmm. and in different cities, mm-hmm. but it's only in the government control area, not in the rebel, the Houthi Houthi uh, mm-hmm. control area. Okay. So you should be not seeing any fighting and things no, like that? you shouldn't okay. be seeing fighting. Uh, but, of course, I would say 80% of the civilians, men, carrying guns. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a usual... Uh, I have talked to people there. I said, do people carry guns all the time? This woman told me, yes, before the war, maybe half of the population would carry guns, but now more, she said. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like their culture, and that they carry guns. Yeah. And I saw a little boy, maybe about yeah high, carrying three guns, yeah, two AK forty seven and one other gun sticking out of his shoulder, wow. almost as tall as him. Yeah, and how he got those guns, I have no idea. Right, or whether he was maybe a soldier even, or it was tiny. Knows? I'm yeah. not sure. Yeah. <laughs> sad to see. Yeah. yeah. So we were we were there. Even then, uh, we were told it was not a safe area. Sure. So we were escorted by the military soldiers mm-hmm. 
front and back. So you sort of had a, a residence that you were staying in. We stayed in a hotel. The, the camp. Okay, so you stayed in a hotel. And then we would be uh, in like a little convoy to the yeah. hospital. Yeah. Uh, soldiers in front, soldiers in the back. Yeah. It kind of st- very strange. And then we got to the hospital, the yeah. soldiers would be close by. Yeah. To make sure, because we are foreigners, we yeah. kind of stand out. So yeah. they want to make sure that we are safe. Was that scary? It wasn't that scary for me. Yeah. Um, in Libya, I was alone. Nobody, no soldier. <laughs> you were in Libya as well. Yeah, oh, right. during That's the war, right. but I yeah. was never uh, escorted. No, by wow. any soldier. So I was all by myself with the driver and. Wow. <laughs> but so this is very different. Okay. You know, to have soldiers, we couldn't move without soldiers. Yeah. 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 So in a way, you felt protected by that as well sure as you could. No? I'm not sure. If you think about it, you know, if you are so prominent Mm -hmm. in public where the people could target you more easily. But in a a way, if you're foreigners, you stand out Mm -hmm. already. So, I don't know. Yeah. So it's kind of dangerous. We did move from one city to another five Mm -hmm. and a half hours away. Mm -hmm. We moved from Sayun to Marib. And Marib is about 75 miles from Sana, which is the capital that was captured by Mm -hmm. the rebels mm-hmm. and so that is always fighting there yeah so we were 75 miles from it and uh, just before we were moving there there was a missile attack on the military base mm-hmm. in uh, Marib mm-hmm. where we were going yeah so they told us you couldn't go it's too dangerous for you to go there mm-hmm. and I think five soldiers were killed mm-hmm. and uh, they were targeting the minister of defense and they somehow got wind that he was going to be there mm-hmm. but he didn't get killed mm-hmm. so the military told us that it's too unsafe right so you're not going there yeah a day later they said okay you can go now so <laughs> we did go and they said we could protect you on the ground but we couldn't protect you from any missile attack yeah so that's how we 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 did go yeah and a few women in my group all the women in my group discuss it they decided that they will wear the hijab yeah abaya the hijab and uh, so that they couldn't be they couldn't be conspicuous yeah and they discuss it among themselves yeah I wasn't in the discussion so Mm. the next day they told me they have decided to wear Mm. the abaya and I don't know neck cap I think they call it okay so a face covering yeah you know just the eyes just show the eyes yeah so you didn't wear it because I you missed told the meeting? Them, um, since I wasn't in the meeting, I wasn't in the loop, yep. and I didn't agree, hmm. I wasn't going to do it. Okay. <laughs> so they were the, all the women did it, but except me. Yeah. I would just wear my regular long sleeve, long pants, and a headscarf. A headscarf, but yeah. your face was, was yeah, uncovered. My face was uncovered. Yeah. It, How did that in feel? In the end, they didn't cover their face. Oh, okay. And so they looked you know there's a blonde lady similar yeah yeah and then i think they drew more attention than anything else to me yeah because and also surrounded by soldiers yeah and when you stop mm-hmm. yeah. at a rest stop you're pretty conspicuous you couldn't hide mm. and so i don't know why they did that and mm. whether they feel safer or they felt like it was a little bit sensational for them to appear that way i'm not sure yeah um but i I didn't do it, but I, do it. I didn't feel unsafe not okay. doing it. Okay. Um, so 
So I guess one of the things I'm wondering with all of this experience that you have going to these hot zones around the world, do you see each experience as very unique or do you tend to see the similarities among them? The similarities is the poverty mm. and the, uh, the healthcare uh, facilities um, were quite ill-equipped mm. and quite um, not up to par as our standard. No, yeah. None of them up to our Western standard. Even the hospital I went to in South Africa, although maybe in the town, in the city, mm-hmm. the Afri- South African um, hospitals might be up to our standard, but yeah. I didn't. I wasn't sent there, mm-hmm. so it's really hard for me to generalize. You know, yeah. when I saw a very rural yeah. hospital, that, yeah. but most of them were quite crowded, mm-hmm. uh, ill-supplied, and uh, hand washing uh, equipment was quite uh, sparse, especially in Yemen when I was there. It was mm-hmm. one sink for thirty bed, uh, yeah. and they would. They told me they never washed their hands until the end. So it was really hard for me. Each time I would go there, I would say, if I get sick, I don't think I'll ever recover Mm, (laughs) mm -hmm. in this condition. Mm. Yeah. So how people deal with it, especially the patients, is just incredible. How they have the resilience to get better, the will to get better. And for us, we... It would be pretty terrifying, I think, for an American to be in in the hospital in these places. Yeah. And we are so lucky, and yep. yet we complain. <laughs> Even in the you know in the hospital, the way yeah. they have everything mm. up to date, mm-hmm. equipment and technology and best healthcare providers, mm-hmm. people still complain about trivia things. Mm. <laughs> Do you mean the doctors or the patients? The patients. The yeah. patients. Yeah. 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 Okay. If it's okay, um, switching gears a bit um, mm-hmm. or quite a bit. I just ask you a few questions about about you, if that's all right. Mm-hmm. Who has been the biggest influence on your life, and what lessons did that person teach you? Um, I have to say, I don't really have a real person mm-hmm. <laughs> who uh, had really given me uh, mentorship, mm-hmm. uh, which I would love to have a real person that I could go to mm-hmm. to, you know, to maybe. Uh, should debris and maybe get yeah. some advice. Yeah, you do a yeah. lot of daring things, so I could yeah. imagine. <laughs> so I would say, you know, I was in the book I mentioned. I read a lot mm-hmm. when I was young, and uh, I read about Dr. Tom Dooley, and I, I really admire that kind of uh, person who would go to a place that they're not comfortable with, yeah. not their, you know, home territory and yet they were able to to do that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and built uh, facilities for people who really Mm -hmm. needed them Mm -hmm. that kind of uh, humanitarian uh, efforts Mm -hmm. uh, really moved me Mm -hmm. and I and I'm not that kind of person that I could go and build stuff but I think they really did heroic uh, thing and uh, but I never met them Okay. And I wish I had met people like that who could continue to motivate me to do things. But I don't have real life person who touched me in that way. Okay. Can I ask what are you proudest of? What I'm proudest of in your life or yourself? Oh my goodness. Uh, I always think my children are the best. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Having children and 
is a special thing. Yeah. Uh, so they more or less uh, you bring them up uh, to be responsible citizens, mm-hmm. to be kind, to be compassionate, uh, to be generous. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was probably the thing that my husband and I would be proud of. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that my children are good people yeah. and uh, not selfish people. Mm-hmm. So I think that will be my proudest achievement, I think. Yeah. For your uh, grandchildren or great-grandchildren or someday great-great-grandchildren <laughs> who might be listening to this years and years yeah. from now, is there any wisdom that you would want to pass on to them? Mm, well. <laughs> you know, or what would you want them to know, either about you or your husband? Yeah. Or? I would imagine that you know, I'll, sometimes you look back on a lifespan, mm-hmm. you think it's a long life, but at the same time it can be quite short. Mm-hmm. So I think within that lifespan that is given to you, whether it's long or short, uh, I think we should strive to be good people. Mm-hmm. And so that when we do pass away, looking back, we have no regrets that we have walked this earth and we haven't done anything. Mm-hmm. You know, even small things, kind words, mm-hmm. kind actions, small actions uh, that may not be written up, may not be awarded, mm-hmm. uh, should be something that we should strive for uh, to be good and let's see can we talk a little bit about what the future holds <laughs> uh, I don't think too far off each yeah. year as I grow older I said mm, my life in this earth is getting shorter mm. so I have to be careful what I do I love what I do and uh, I still work part-time, mm-hmm. so I really love my contact with the patients. Mm-hmm. Where do you work here? I work um, in Beth- Bethesdale, uh, Deaconess. I used to work in the hospital, now I only work in their clinic, mm-hmm. urgent care, as well as their office, mm-hmm. covering people, because I wanted, I always tell them that I have other commitments so when I do have to go mm-hmm. I will have to go for your volunteering yeah, I mean, yeah right and so what the future holds I would c- love to continue to do humanitarian work mm-hmm. as much as I could do it mm-hmm. is harder and harder in the sense that I think there are NGOs that probably have age limit but they don't tell you okay. <laughs> and so but there are some that would, you know, just take you as as long as you are able and physically fit. Yeah. And so I would continue to do that if there are opportunities for me to do it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, because I find those kind of missions are very um, touching, and they spur me on, you know, to to live on to help other people. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great. Yeah. And um, I know you have a book coming out uh, in June, right? About your ex- they some keep of the on older moving the date. They keep moving the date. Okay, that happens. Um, but then, what is what will that book be about? What's the subject? It's there? about Africa. Okay. It's about all my time that I spent in Africa. So because I spent a lot of time in Africa, I thought that I would put all my experiences together. Mm-hmm. That I've been to Africa. Uh, talking about my volunteering experiences. Talking about the people, the culture. Um, the places that people would go to Africa and would not go to, mm. the not usual touristy places that I've okay. been to. Yeah, yeah. So it's a fun book mm-hmm. <laughs> to read. It, you know. All right. 
Right. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Um, I guess I should ask, is there anything else that we haven't touched upon that you that you wanted to speak to? or? I don't think so. Oh. I would just say that I, I live in Belmont for quite a while now. Yeah. Uh, when my children were younger, they said, oh, Belmont is such a small town. When I grow up, I'm not going to live in Belmont. Yeah. But I just feel like Belmont is such a nice town and mm-hmm. cozy town. There's a lot of everything in it. And, you know, I think my children now feel the same way. That mm-hmm. Belmont is a very well put together town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Well... Uh, I guess I will say thank you very much for coming in, mm-hmm. and um, it's very nice talking to you. I think I find you very inspirational as somebody who's really traveled the world and uh, you know found adventures in life, and also found a way to to give back mm-hmm. and to really use your skills to help others. So I, I really you know enjoy talking to you, and I thank you for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. <laughs>